uh, first of all, let's be aware it's coming. And then let's uh, ask the Lord to prepare us for, um, for its arrival. And uh, so we've talked about it. We've looked at it. We've been on this uh, journey for a while now. Looking in particular at the book of, uh, of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, where um, the, the, um, the culture insists, you know, just keeps pounding their fists and saying, you know what, uh, God, I, I, I want you out of my choices. I want you out of my home. I want you out of my marriage. I want you out of other people's marriages. I want you out of moral decisions. I want you out of school. I want you out of government. I want you out of uh, school, my public school. I want you out of, uh, and, uh, and uh, sadly enough, some churches, in effect, are doing the same thing. I want you out of, I want you out of my church. You know, the, 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 the uh, I want you, uh, we're going to do things our way. You know, we're going to give lip service to Orthodox Christianity, but we're not going to live it out. It's almost like being uh, Judas, in effect. That the, the, the professing church in many circles is betraying our Lord with a kiss. They're getting near enough to Him to just kiss Him on the cheek, while at the same time they just sold Him out for money. And that's happening, you know, and, and you see it happening where we are. So these are the things that are happening, and I don't say that at all to to for us to be discouraged. I, I, the, the, the 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 whole point is to be encouraged, because w wonderful things come from the church persecuted. I mean, uh, the devil has to be just a, just a real source of tremendous aggravation for him to think that every time he attacks the church, in every, whatever way he wants to attack it, but each time he does, all it does is serve to strengthen those who are within it and advance the kingdom cause. And so the more he tries to do that, the more he gets proven time and again you know, that it gets turned on him. And so... And also the fact that we can rest in this one word that you can apply to God and God only. There's one word that applies to God and God only. There are a bunch of them, but this one applies to Him and Him only. And that's the word sovereignty. God's sovereign over this. I mean, the, 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 uh, we have to be reminded, we as Christians can lose sight of it, that the President of the United States is who He is because God put Him there. The American voter didn't put Him there. God put Him there. And God is using him as a mere tool to wield purposes that have nothing to do with his purposes, the president's. He has a transcendent purpose of building a kingdom that will prevail. Hallelujah. Um, so this is why we're in First Peter. This is why we spent so much time there. And we've celebrated the fact and looked at the fact and looked at contrasts about being in fellowship with the Lord. You know, that, that surely in this time, and in place, and where we're headed. Um, we need to see if the relationship is there, and we need to see what it means to walk in fellowship. Because that's the only thing that will secure our victory through it all, is in fellowship with the Lord. And so, with all that coming on, and again, don't get mad at anybody except the devil. You know, don't get to, Psalm 37 would be a good stopping place for you right now. Don't fret when wicked men bring wicked schemes to pass. Because fretting only causes harm. Don't fret. Delight yourself in the Lord. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Oh man, pull up to the trough and eat from the Word of God and feed on the faithfulness of God. And we will not fret. We can either feed or fret, one or the other. 
And I want to go to his trough and feed from him and be encouraged by him and away with his fretting business. And let's rest and trust in him. Boy, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So when we go to First Peter here and we're looking at uh, First Peter, we want to go to um, to uh, we want to go to um, let's start in First Peter three seventeen. We've been through this text before, but there's just so much there, and there's so many different uh, ways that we can look at the text. And I want to I want us to look at one this morning before we have the Lord's Supper um, that um, that I hope will be a blessing to you. If you're physically able, will you stand with me as we read from God's precious Word? I'm going to go to 17 because we want to get a little bit of, uh, grab a little bit of the context, go back a little bit and grab some of the context here. It says, For it is better, if it is the will of God, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well doing than for evil doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein a few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, wherein too, even baptism doth also now save us, not the pure putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto Him. For one, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For He hath suffered in the flesh, hath cleansed from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For in time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of God of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revilings, banquetings, and abominable idolaters, idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same success of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give an account to him that is ready uh, to judge the quick and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they may be judged according to men of the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. <clears throat> Thank you. Some of you might be old enough to remember this. Maybe. Greg, you would be, and I'm not funning with you, but you would be. And you're a sports fan, right? Don't you use like sports, right? You remember the ABC Wild World of Sports? You remember that? And they would introduce it. Come on Saturday afternoon. And Jim McKay, I think was his name, and he would introduce it. And there was this clip they would show of a guy throw, falling off a... Uh, it was a... Uh, he would, you remember it, Dan? I know Nancy's saying it. You remember it. When he, he, yeah, and he would fall off and just, you know, and, and he would say... He would say, uh, we're here to, uh, it's, this line was, uh, the one I remember that from it was, uh, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. You remember that? You remember that? Okay. Um, um, if I had to put a title on this message, it would be the thrill of victory. Because um, 
because here, here's what here's what Peter's saying among other things, and this is so exciting to me, is is um, he, he's he's basically saying to us to sum this up that that when suffering comes your way, now watch as a result of being in the will of God. Now let's be careful here. You know, uh, uh, there are times in the Christian experience where you have experienced this and so have I, whereby we have assigned our suffering uh, and our lament over our suffering uh, to, um, to, uh, to, uh, to, to God's doings when in reality we weren't willing to admit that it was the consequence of us not being in the will of God but outside it. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about suffering that comes our way as a result of being in the will of God. That's why we went back up and grabbed the previous verse that we grabbed in, in, uh, in chapter 3 when it says, It is better if it's the will of God that you suffer for, do, for well-doing than for evil. Implication? There is a type of suffering that comes about as a result of the will of God and it comes as a result of well-doing. How about that? You know, much of what's taught in Christendom, we talked about this before, says that you sign on to Christian faith, everything's just going to go great. And man, you're going to float to heaven on a bed of ease, comfort, and pleasure with a harp in hand and a cloud-like view. And everything is just going to be great. Except for the Bible, that'd be wonderful to believe. The Bible doesn't teach that. And he says, you know what? For, 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 for being in the will of God, there is suffering that comes as a result of that. And that's what we're on the verge of experiencing. We've got some of it. And we're babies, really. Because, you know, if somebody just goes, boo, we call that suffering anymore. But I'm talking, about, I'm talking about really getting into it to the point where your faith is no longer just your way of believing, but your faith is now an incredible offense to everybody. And the message of the Gospel is hate speech. So, so we, have the, we have the agony of defeat in one verse that we just read. And then in the other verse, let's look at it like bookends, okay? Let's look at it like bookends. Let's bookend this text in the fact that on one side, on one side, post-death of Jesus, post the cross, okay, on one side, He declares the agony of defeat. And on the other side, with the other bookend, He celebrates the thrill of victory. Now we just call it the thrill of victory because we're on that camp. We're in that column, okay? And the agony of defeat... Okay, is whereby with verse 18, when Jesus suffered for the sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being quickened or made alive or raised from the dead by the Spirit. Alright, here's the agony of defeat. By which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when the long-suffering of God waited into the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein a few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The Bible says on this bookend, now listen, here's the bookend. This is the agony of defeat. Okay, on the agony of defeat bookend, after Christ was crucified, in between his crucifixion and his resurrection, he went to the very bowels of hell, the, the abode of the dead, the living dead, those judged and sent and consigned to hell awaiting final judgment. And he went down there, and there he found at the very lowest of the low place the angels who were called the sons of God who had left their place all the way back in the time of the flood had come down to, to earth and had intermarried with human beings, women, 
and had produced a mutation human race that had grown so much that God exercised incredible cataclysmic judgment upon it by, by flooding the entire earth and saving eight people out of that judgment, out of a billion people at the time. And, 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 and those sons of angels, sons of the, the, from the demonic realm who had left their place and came, and, and all they were doing was, was attacking the redemptive plan of God in hopes that they could ruin that seed that was promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he said, I'm going I'm to send a seed from the seed of woman, born of a virgin, a seed of woman, and he's going to come and he's going to crush your, he's going he's to bruise your head. He's going to undo this, what was done in the garden, the sin. And so they were trying to thwart that plan. They were attacking that plan. And they came down and did that. And God, God's answer to that was cataclysmic judgment. He, 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 he judged, flooded the whole earth. And Jesus, after He was crucified, went down to the very bowels of the lowest of the low place because there are degrees of suffering in hell. I don't recommend any of them, but there are. And at the very lowest place of the abode of the dead, went down, now watch this now, and, and declared the agony of defeat to those who tried to stop His plan. And said, that which you tried to stop, I'm here to proclaim, went forward. And you have been eternally defeated. It did not work. That's the agony of defeat. That's this bookend. Now watch this. That's this bookend. That's the agony of defeat. Okay? The thrill of victory then. And then, and then he goes on to explain the fact that that ensured mine and your victory. And then on the other bookend, other bookend, good night. This is so good. On the other bookend, it says in verse 6 of chapter 4, For this cause the gospel was preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Okay? On this bookend... He went down to the lowest place of hell and pre and proclaimed victory over the devil's plan to destroy the redemptive purpose of God in His Son. That's this bookend. That's the agony of defeat. And then on this bookend, after Christ was uh, crucified, He went to paradise where those who had faith in Him in what He was going to one day do on the cross and there preached the gospel. See, on the other one, it doesn't say He preached the gospel to the ones who were devoted to dead. He didn't go down there to redeem them or reach them. They, 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 were, they were judged. But on the other bookend, when He declared the thrill of victory, he went to those who had already gone on, who were already dead, the ones who had died in Christ, and he preached and proclaimed the gospel to them to say, listen, just like the ones who had left the place of heaven and came down here to try to circumvent and to destroy my purposes, I've come to declare the good news to you that it wasn't successful. And listen to me, you're in a holding pattern right now. You're, you're okay. You're in Abraham's bosom right now. But let me tell you this, God raised me from the dead. I'm going to be raised from the dead and I'm preaching the gospel to you, the good news to declare to you the thrill of victory. 
Hallelujah. Amen. And what the Lord is saying is this. The suffering that's going to come your way is not because of defeat. The suffering that's going to come your way is an outgrowth of the suffering that took place through my son to secure your victory. Victory in Jesus. Because see, here's the thing about suffering. Unjust suffering purifies the church. Now it does. It did say that, doesn't it? Look at First First uh, Peter four. It says that Christ suffered once in the flesh. Arm yourself with the same attitude that He has suffered from the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, that doesn't say that we've ceased to sin. It says we've ceased from sin. What that means is is that there is a purifying effect upon the church when those who hold to saving faith persevere in the middle of unjust suffering. Patiently enduring unjust suffering occasions holy living. Patiently enduring unjust suffering occasions holy living. And what happens is, is this, and you know it to be true. Among us, if there are pretenders, among the professing church in our culture, if there are pretenders, and when once it comes to a place where following Christ really does cost us something, you know what I mean? When it really does cost us something, you'll look for the pretenders and you will not be able to find them because it will purge the church of them. What does that mean then? It means that those who are left and still endure will have a crystal clear testimony that will be easily seen because they don't walk in the same flood of dissipation that they used to walk in. See, the people that know you and know what you are like and know what I was like and are, are, are know and, and are running into this and are bound by the power of sin and looming over them is the sin's penalty and have no hope of ever being delivered from it apart from Christ. They look at a righteous, holy life and at first it draws their attention and you try to loop them in because death can't stand life. Everybody wants to rebellion, attracts rebellion. Uh, come on, man, do the same things. What are you, a prude now? Are you boring? What's wrong with you? That kind of thing. And it's saying, no, 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 no. Christian faith in the middle of suffering stands out as most excellent. Don't, don't get caught back into that again. Live holy because it's the holy difference that makes the difference. And, and listen, let this be your incentive. You are on the winning team. You have experienced the thrill of victory. So much so that Jesus, in His work between the cross and the resurrection, went down to the very lowest place of hell to proclaim victory over His enemies and then went to the very bosom of Abraham to declare the gospel to his elect, to say it worked. And in between those two bookends is couched this. Now that you're still around and, the, and you're still here on this earth, you let that kind of victory and the security that flows from it be your security and persevere through the worst persecution that you could ever imagine. You persevere. You keep loving. You keep serving. You keep your eyes on Jesus because you are on the winning team. The thrill of victory. Hallelujah. 
and say, you know what? You used to walk a certain way and now you're walking a different way. As we celebrated last week, you've been baptized into the very life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ Himself. When it says for this cause, what He's saying is this. For this reason, because suffering is coming, for this reason, for this reason, lest anybody be confused, the gospel has been declared from one end of the heavenly realm to the other, from the very lowest of judgment to the highest of, 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 of grace, from one end of the other, the victory has been declared. Defeat for our enemies and victory secured by our God when He raised His Son from the dead. For this cause, the gospel was preached to them that are dead. They were judged by men in the flesh. Many of them died. They were martyred. Hey, the judgment of men regarding Christian faith is, is men hate Christian faith. Did you hear that? The judgment of men regarding Christian faith is, is that men hate Christian faith. It draws you back to memory. And remember it in 1 Samuel chapter 8 when Samuel was raised up as a prophet for God's people. And the people clamored for a king like all the other kings around them. And Samuel said, I'm so upset at these people. I'm, I've been called to be their intercessor. I've been called to be their, their, uh, I'm, I'm their prophet. I speak your words to them. They've not listened to a word I've said. I'm, I'm really upset about these people and I don't want to even pray for them anymore. And God called back to him and said, Samuel, just remember this, buddy. I did not reject you. They rejected me. See, the world is not rejecting Christian faith. The world is rejected the author of Christian faith. There are two kingdoms at work. We're a nation within a nation. We are, we are a part of a kingdom within a kingdom. And those two kingdoms don't get along. And I'm here to tell you, they're not going to cut a deal. They're not going to work things out. They're not going to enter into partnership. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen any more than light can exist with darkness. It's just not going to happen. And the Apostle Peter is saying this. This bookend, just like defeat was declared, the agony of it, to the bowels of hell, God declared victory and proclaimed the gospel to the heavenlies of heaven. And because that victory is secured, you know, we've talked about this before, we're not looking forward to victory. We're living from it. We're not, we're not fighting a battle to win it. We're engaged in a battle that's already been won. That's what he's saying. He suffered one time, and one time was enough. And that one time, and he's not going to suffer again. Christ is not, except the ongoing suffering through his body. But none of that's redemptive because that one act took care of me and you. Amen. You know what, can we not sit at this table today, this communion table? Is this not a celebratory table? Is it not? Is it not a table we can draw up to and celebrate a celebration meal in anticipation of the one that we'll have at the marriage supper of the Lamb to say, hallelujah, 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 He's alive, God sacrificed His only Son, raised Him from the dead three days later, and we are looking forward to His imminent return. We are victors. Here's what the devil wants us to believe. That we're victims. Now we can either act like a victim or we can act like a victor, one or the other. We can feel sorry for ourselves. You know, we're the whiniest people on planet Earth anymore. 
Just one negative thing is said about Christians. Just one. And we just get all up in arms. We shouldn't expect any different. We should just say, okay, okay. We're just going to keep living holy. We're just going to hold on to our profession. We're going to hold on to our God. Let me tell you something right now. There's so much going on about the gun debate and keeping our guns and keeping our guns and keeping our guns. Okay, that's the right we have. But you know what? The Bible doesn't say arm yourself with ammunition. It says arm yourself with the mind that says this. Look at it. Look at Roman, Look at 1 Peter 4. For as much as then Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. That's the gun we need to load. We need to load our Christian faith in the shell of our body and let it fill us to overflowing and say, I'm armed and ready because here's the deal. This is the deal. The deal is this. When Jesus Christ went to the bowels of hell and preached victory and declared victory to those who tried to stop Him, He did not go down there with a pistol. He did not go down there with a nuclear bomb. He didn't go down there with anything. He came down there after having just got off the cross. And it was the cross that secured the victory over them. It wasn't muscle. It was love. It wasn't, it wasn't bunching up a bunch of power and strength to overcome them. It was to, to muzzle His strength to overcome His power to stop it. And to say, I'm submissive to the Father to the level that I would let unjust people like you kill me for a just purpose so that I could set the very people who put me on the cross free. He said, man, I wielded a cross. Our, our symbol of victory is a cross and an empty tomb. That's what we're about to celebrate now. And the Bible says, put that in your spiritual gun and load it. Put that in the chamber and engage it. This mind that says, come what may, no matter what happens, I'm going to submit to the Lord of glory. Not to secure victory, but because I have been secured in victory. Not to win something, but to celebrate that which has already been won. Not to, not to wipe out the world, but to be willing to do just like Jesus did, and that is to die to my appetites so that He might emerge in my life reigning eternal and supreme, and they might get a shot at seeing what He's really like. I'll tell you right now, it doesn't impress me, and it wouldn't impress you if God overcame His enemies through His power. I'm talking about this kind. If God flexed His muscle and overcame His enemies by doing that, that wouldn't be that impressive to me. Not really. Because if you're a God, that's in the category of God things. You get to do stuff like that. It means you have no limit to your power. What impresses me is that Jesus, the meekest man who ever walked the face of this earth, and meekness is not weakness, meekness is strength under control, would allow God, would orchestrate the death of His Son and defeat His enemies that way. Let me tell you something right now. The enemy brandishes a gun and it's got a silver handle, a pearl handle, and it's silver polished through and through. And it looks impressive, but it has no bullets in it. The Bible says in Colossians that God disarmed him. He disarmed him. And all he does is brandish that bullet and say, see, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. And we get our minds off of heavenly things and we get our minds off of Christ and we soon get convinced that he's got a bullet in that chamber. And he does not have a bullet in that chamber. God disarmed him and rendered his power over the believer useless when we profess and live out the faith that is ours to believe. So we can arm ourselves with that mind. Our mindset should be this. 
man, I'm going to walk in victory and let come what may. Let it come what may. Because I've got a Christ. I've got a Savior. He preached from the lowest of lowest to the highest of highs and everywhere in between. And He's declared victory. And I am walking in it. Praise His name. Things that used to buy me don't buy me anymore. Things that used to have me don't have me anymore because I've been baptized in the spiritual loins of Jesus Christ. I haven't ceased to sin, but I've ceased from it. It doesn't have the power and will the control over me that it once did. And I do have the hope one day that I've been delivered from its penalty, I'm being delivered from its power, and one day I'll be delivered from its very presence. Hallelujah. Now, brothers and sisters, that's more than enough to walk in victory. We are not victims. We are victors. That song came from Romans chapter 8. And Paul gives all the reasons and all the enemies pitted against us that could potentially take our security from us in Christ and says not a one of them are successful because we're more than conquerors through Him. Hallelujah. We're not victims. We're victors. And you know what? The Lord's Supper. Drawing back from the ABC News Worlds of Sports, Greg, is a table where we celebrate the thrill of victory. Not a victory we secured. Not a victory we had anything to do with. But it's applied to us just as surely as Jacob wrestled with God. God won and gave him credit for the victory. God and the enemy went at one another. God won and credits you and I with the victory. The thrill of victory. Amen. Let's walk in it. Desires for the walking in. You defeated this morning. Do you seem defeated? Are things weighing heavy? Give it to Christ. And just say, Jesus, I'm done. Your suffering was enough. Your resurrected life's enough. I'm done. I'm free and I'm going to receive that which has been done. I'm going to apply by faith the victory that's already been secured for me. And I'm going to live in it. I'm not going to go by my feelings. I'm not going to go by what other people say and the scorn of others and the, and the mockery and all those other things. I'm not listening to a bit of it. I'm just listening to you. And I'm going to latch into and walk in a victory that's already been secured. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. It's a table of victory. And God secured the victory. Not by wielding a gun or a nuclear bomb, but by wielding a cross. And what it looked like was the picture of defeat. was the very essence of victory itself. We serve a big God.